Thank you, snowboarding. Thank you, snowboarding. Snowboarding. Hey friends, how you doing? It's the Thank You Snowboarding podcast, the podcast that looks and dives into UK snowboarding culture. Again, from the very first pioneers hand-building boards up in Scotland to the current X Games champion, Mia Brooks, who incidentally is on the bomb hole this week, which I do love the bomb hole, but I'm slightly miffed that we didn't get there first. Although we did have Vicky and Nigel last week, so I can't kind of claim that. But uh, yeah, we're hoping to get Mia on, but we haven't, and the bomb hole would have beaten us to it. Which, from Mia's perspective, is fair play as well. So anyway, good luck to her. I hope that's a good listen. I haven't listened yet, but let's talk about that more at the end. This time, um, obviously, we are also looked after by the Snowboard Asylum, uh, who have been looking after snowboarders since the early days. And so we're really happy they look after us too, and they look after us very nicely indeed. So big shout out to the Snowboard Asylum. So this episode, this episode is with someone from way back who had a sort of pioneering spirit in the sense of business. He started the first kind of UK-based do-it-yourself clothing brand called Chaos. Chaos Mountain Wear, I should say. He worked for the BSA, the British Snowboard Association, and he also ended up doing bits and pieces for the World Snowboard Federation, which was the iteration of the International Snowboard Federation. And basically kind of lived a life, then dropped out of it and has just recently been again for the first time with his son. So he was a prime candidate to get him on the podcast. His name is Ian Felton, and it's interesting how we never cross paths, given that he grew up only, or he lived only a few miles from where I grew up. Um, sort of, there were opportunities for our paths to cross, but we had not actually met in person until he stopped by my studio, Goldtone Studio, in Brighton the other day to have this chat, and uh, it's a good one. So let's go, Ian Felton. Uh, at nine years of age, um, me and my younger brother Neil and our and our mates in the area, we were always out on our bikes. Which area was this? So I grew up in in Elton, South East London. Okay, right, I know. Yeah. So we had. Um, we had uh, all the woods, Jack Woods, Falcon Woods, all, yep. all these yeah, woodland yeah. areas. So we would we would go sort of scrambling on our bikes, and and we had choppers and we had grifters, and we'd set up jumps and ramps, and and the bikes would just continually break. Uh, we grifters const- trying to get air on a grifter. Yeah, I mean they waited a ton. Oh, and, and uh, yeah, the, the the forks would gradually splay yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I did. I had a boxer, so in my family there were four of us, but like the eldest three had a grifter. A striker and a boxer, right. and I had the boxer, and I did the went off a jump at the BMX track and did the forks like ninety degrees on one landing, and just sort of like that's it, I'm fucked. I can't afford we, another bike. We, we used to go up to walk to walls and just like ride into them gently, just to <laughs> knock them back into shape. And you could only do that so many times before they yeah. they blow out. So when when BMX came along, I, I remember walking past a, a, a shop in Erith, um and they had they had this. Diamondback BMX bike oh, in the window, and I looked at this thing and I'm like, "Oh my god, that like that is what we need. That is what we want." I went in there, I got a leaflet. It was it was Diamondback and and also Pro Star. Yeah, and I I literally I I spent the next the next couple of months washing cars, 
caddying at golf courses. Yeah. Um, like buying and selling bits and pieces of old bike and just anything I could to get to get uh, my first BMX. So is- this has just sparked a memory for me because my older brother got a BMX and he got it from OT Cycles in Darfur. Oh, I know OT very well, yeah. We were there I all mean, the time. I mean, walking in there... That was, that was, he- like, that was heavenly. It was like, it? fucking hell, I've died and gone to heaven. This is everything I want. I never got a BMX. and I'm, I was looking at a Skyway on eBay the other day. They're two and a half grand. I was like, shit, I'm still not getting a BMX. Well, that, you talk of OT Cycles, so... What we what what you know, we got massively into BMX, yeah. and it was it was my life and, and my brother as well. And it, you know, every night after school, get changed. Did you ever come down there. to the track in Barnhurst on the golf course? There was actually like a council built, which was really close to my house. Uh, <clears throat> I think we uh, yeah, I think I think we did. I think we did. there was a guy that it was Wheelie Cycles, which was in Erith, which is not far from Barnhurst, is it? And we did, um, we did... Uh, it. Can we just... It's a fucking for a parcel you, for Chris to... Moran. Every time <laughs> I do a interview in this studio, something for Chris Moran turns up. It's weird. Well, that definitely looks like a snowboard. That's definitely a snowboard. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, so, so um, yeah, there was there was that track. It must have been the same one. It was, it was run by Wheelie Cycles, and they were doing, um, they were doing a regular races there when it opened yeah. so we were competing in that buckmore park buckmore i just park. love buckmore, yeah, yeah, yeah. buckmore park and that was where i first started racing and then there was romford romford the track wasn't that great but the skate park was amazing yeah yeah rom so we go yeah we go rom skate park and and so i got I got into the uh competitive side of it yeah which is quite amazing when you think there was eight you know you started off with eight people mm. Bombing down the start hill into the into into the speed jump, uh, into the first first berm and some of the crashes and whatever. Yeah. But I got majorly into that, and I was spending a fortune on on bikes. Yeah, you know, I finally got you know after the process, I got the dime back. Also had a um, a uh, hello. Can no, can't talk right now. Um. <laughs> I got into uh, yeah, I, I got into the racing side of things anyway, and we were spending so much money on our bikes mm. that and going to OT cycles a lot. My dad was like, "This is there's a fortune to be made here," right? Um, and he was he was kind of wine, you know. He's what he was doing, which was technical draftsman. Um, his his job was basically getting slowly taken over by. CAD machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, yeah. he felt like, that, you know, he needed to do something different. So in his wisdom, he thought it'd be a great idea to get a family business as a bike shop. Oh, right. And and I was 13 years of age at the time. We, we bought this bike shop in Bromley, old rundown bike shop. And first of all, it, became, it was Bike City. That's right. We we were, by the time we got that shop, the, the boom had already happened. Yeah. So it was a disaster financially and and for trying to get into bmx but the next thing that came along was um was the, the skateboard revival yeah around 85 86 yeah sure so we were like well early on that um so that that was where that that we changed the name to skate city skate and that city, really that's that right really, yeah yeah that yeah. really boomed and and from that from skate city in bromley that um yeah we had a skate team we had 
we were producing t-shirts, Skate City t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So in a way, yeah, our minds were already into, you know, what would eventually end up chaos. Yeah. Um, I also, we were, we were sending so many skateboards, and I, I started, I got a, an offer to import a load of boards from, I think it was Holland, and I, I got all this this kit in from Holland, um, and. I had to sell to other shops because there was so much of it. So I started yeah, of a bit of a wholesale business. Right, and, okay, yeah. and Michael Allen from China yep. down in Bristol, yep. um, he said to me, well, look, I'll supply you rather than you. He didn't want – he was one of the biggest distributors. Yeah, sure. So he said, well, I'll supply you um, and you know, give you a bit you know, discount, a margin. And So I was, I was driving around the southeast of England in a transit van to loads of skateboard shops. Okay. Selling skateboard yeah, kit, yeah, yeah. as well as what we had through the shop in Bromley, and, and we had a very good scene in Bromley as well, a skate scene. We had a ramp down there and everything. Um, but as a as a ambitious young man and having the um, having this, you know, started this wholesale business at nineteen years of age, and and it done really well. Yeah, I was, you know, sales every week. It was it was it was incredible. Um, uh, my girlfriend at the time, Debbie, we were you know young couple in love. We bought an apartment and yeah, you know, and it was like yes, I'm I've Did, made it. I'm the, you know, it, yeah. I'm, I'm the golden boy sort of thing in the, in in what I was turning over financially. And um, but I wanted to be. It wasn't enough for me just to be a wholesaler and have a retail shop. I I, I really wanted to be like a, a distributor. Yeah. Um, snowboarding came on my radar. And I, f- I thought, right, this is going to be the next big thing. You saw it coming. Saw it coming. I also, I had a look and I saw Santa Cruz snow snowboards mm. was just starting out. And of course, I was familiar with Santa Cruz skateboards, skateboards from California. Yeah, and um, so, I, I became the. I basically went to ISPO one year, met with the um, with the company that were doing Santa Cruz, which was actually a German, no, a Swiss company. Yeah, that were making the boards under license. Yeah, that's right. So it wasn't really the sort of Santa Cruz from California. It was more like the, the you know, they never take the name. But um, yeah, I, so I came back as the distributor for Santa Cruz snowboards, and that kind of like uh, yeah, I was already in the sort of skate industry. So that then opened me into sort of like look, venturing into skiing and doing stuff. I had to go had to go from doing stuff in Southeast England to then doing stuff right. nationally. Yeah. Um, but the main thing, obviously, was I, I, I figured that, well, not a huge amount of people are going to actually snowboard. Yeah. But like we've seen with surfing and skateboarding and other things, lots of people are going to buy the, buy the look. Buy into the lifestyle, don't buy they? Buy into the look of it. You yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah, for sure. You know, how, many, how many people buy, um, how many people have climbed mountains but own a new, north face jacket exactly you know yeah. what i mean it's, yeah, it's yeah. or vans trainers or anything else so i thought i, I thought it's sort of in a business sense for yes a, a, having a clothing label and that was the sort of early thing of uh of chaos um so i got i got it was 1990 i think that i got santa cruz distribution was that the towel the one with the sort of cut out of the nose? yeah the little cut out in the, in the front end so bad and the, and the logo was this kind of like sort of angel on a snowball coming down the, the snow right. and, and um i uh i realized i needed a 
I needed to get a team of people. Yeah. You know, because I'd, I'd, I'd had a skateboard Well, team, you'd seen that right? in skateboarding, right? So, you, like, yeah. having a team is your marketing, essentially, uh, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I, first of all, I'd, I'd, um, I spoke to, as many of us did back then, Eddie Spearing. <laughs> and that was off the back of our first Chaos advert. I think, I think someone had contacted me, or it might even have been Eddie, but I'd, I, I ended up having a conversation with Eddie yeah for a, a, an hour long or, or more and it was he he was telling me all the vision of skateboarding uh, snowboarding and what was being done so far yeah um brilliant conversation and and he's invited me to i think it was Swansea dry slope they had a little right. event there so i um i said to him as well i said i need to put a team together and simon smith's name came up yeah. So I, I I got Simon's number and spoke to him, and he, I think he sent me down a portfolio, <laughs> and his portfolio was in BMX in and on the front cover of BMX magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and of him skateboarding. Yeah. And I just I you know his look and his aesthetic and he's kind of I just thought yeah this this guy seems perfect for chaos yeah for the clothing and also the Santa Santa Cruz um, snowballs so. Uh, I arranged to meet Simon at, at Swansea as well as Eddie. I also met Jeff Parr there. His name's come up a couple of times, actually. Yeah, <laughs> he's. Um, well, he wrote a book. He wrote a book quite quite recently. Really? Um, yeah, and he visited me in London actually uh, a little while back. So yeah, yeah, he's. Um, I mean, he's he uh, in the early days he was uh, he was at you know every event I went to. Yeah. Je- Jeff was there. Um, so he was one of the other people that kind of pushed things pushed things along, and I think he introduced me to Lucas Daglish, which was a, a another rider that I put on to Santa Cruz. And then I don't think it was at Swansea; it was later on that I met John Green, who was a young um, dry slope lad from Sheffield, never been on snow. He um, was he the guy that did um, he had a little contraption on those of his boards, a fire kind of. Um fairy liquid or something to keep it running fast uh i don't know that story but he was daft <laughs> enough to do that i'm sure he was it. such a there was definitely someone he did was that. such a he's in, he's in one of the issues of snowboard uk I'm but sure he, of he, he would get he would be able to get very high on uh on the on the dry slopes he was at he was at sheffield based yeah. um and he'd never been to snow so we took him out to 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 the snow for the first time. So I, t- I took so I had them three riders, Simon Smith, Lucas Douglas and and John Green. And we took a I got a, my van, I painted it up with Santa Cruz snowballs on the on the side of it. Nice. And we went off to uh, I think it was Teen. Um and when we did our first sort of like road trip. Yeah. And, and we took photographs and it was a sort of promotional thing. Yeah. Um and then running parallel to Santa Cruz was was this chaos brand. So, oh, I mean, I don't know much about chaos, but I've been thinking about it when you said you were going to come in. Um, so there's, I had a few thoughts, and one was that it seemed to be sort of capturing some of the spirit of sort of the rave days, really, like early on in in the sort of look of it. It wasn't. It was before snowboarding had like a real strong identity and there was lots of sort of different influences on different people so there was sort of like slightly different looks among 
sort of different brands and things. Well, I think it, yeah, is that it, fair it, to say? Um, well, it wouldn't have come from the rave scene because I was never into the rave scene. But what it did, it it was really a collaboration between uh, my brother Neil and, and myself. It, Neil was a, a graphic designer. Yeah, uh, he never really got into the snowball scene, so he was a skier. Right. So we our um, our uh, I was a skier before a snowboarder. Yeah. And there was a brother and a group of friends. We we went out one year to uh, Chivigno in Italy. Right. It was a December no- December nineteen eighty eight, and we we'd been skiing all, all you know through the week, and we got we got into a sort of lunchtime and having a few drinks, and we decided to go and hire some snowboards, this new snowboarder thing. Yeah. Went to the snowboard shop. By the time we got kitted out, you know, it was about four of us went up. Time we got kicked out with the boards, boots and bindings. It was Hard getting, boots. Um, I probably, I would imagine back then, I, I can't even remember what we had, but it probably was. We yeah. might even put our ski boots into it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine. But yeah, I would imagine would have been hard boots. Um, we got because it was so late in the day. We decided to get the the gondola right to the top of the mountain, <laughs> so we'd have plenty of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we naively thought that because we could ski this we're putting a snowboard and just another way to getting down yeah, the you hill. know how it works so off you go of course we get off at the top um there's a lot of snow that year um and we just couldn't do it we just could not <laughs> we just didn't know what we were doing and there was no one in our in, a, in our group to, to show us to what look we were doing. at yeah you can and you'd see get it. a lot you'd you'd, you'd you'd get on it and you'd, you'd be sort of balancing sort of like leaning back yeah. trying to sort of and you get a lot a line going, and you'd be like, "Whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah!" And then it, and be like, "Now what?" Yeah, you think you got to, you got to turn the thing somehow. And cut long story short, we got we got to a point where we just couldn't get down off the mountain in time for the mountain closing. Right. And um, peace patrol came around, and they and none of them knew how to snowboard, so they were like trying to get us down, and it was get start to get dark. So. What we did in the end is there was one guy, he had done a, a little bit of snowboarding, so we wondered what our guy swapped his, ski, uh, the, his snowboard for skis. And then the rest of us had to sort of like find a way down. And, and they took two of us down in a, in a stretcher. No way. To, like stretched off the mountain, <laughs> sitting in a stretcher. I always remember I was thinking, this guy's, this guy's like calves and thighs must be like, you know, rock solid. He was yeah, like yeah, skiing yeah. With, with two of us sat in this stretcher and, uh, so that was the introduction to snowball. And we got we had a lot of fun. We got down to the bar at the bottom, and we had a few drinks with the ski patrol. And it was like, well, that was fun, even though we didn't know what we was doing. And I decided because I was looking at snowboarding uh, in a business sense as well. And I thought, well, I want to. Uh, I, I went back. Um, it would have been eighty nine. I went back to Chivinia, where a friend of mine was doing a season. I got a board from China down in Bristol. Yeah, it was a it was a Gordon and Smith G- GS. Oh, GNS, yeah. So they, um, which was the skateboard old skateboard company, and they obviously never went into snowboarding, but they they done a sort of pilot board. So I had an old G- GNS um, or, or new GNS uh, snowboard as it was back then, and the boots and binders didn't really fit properly, but I managed. I did a week on that. Nice. Uh, and everybody wanted that board. Right. So I sold it before I came home um and then really started focusing on this uh 
you know, say you got the Santa Cruz snowball deal a couple, you know, a year or two after that, and then uh, and then chaos. Chaos, we didn't really... We knew we wanted to do a clothing brand. Yeah, what was the plan? Like, was um, it the start of a plan? Or was it like, let's make some T-shirts and off we went? Or was it more calculated than that? Um, tiny bit more calculated than that, maybe. But obviously, making technical snowboard wear, that was sort of eventually what we were thinking we were going to do. Yeah. Because uh, the, the original brand was Chaos Mountain Wear. Yeah, that's right. Um, but in, in reality, it was like, you know, T-shirts and sweatshirts and, you know, Base yeah. whites and beanie hats and that kind of thing, but the the first advert that we put out it was um it was like a stock photo of a of a mountain, yeah, snow covered mountain against a, a beautiful blue sky, mm-hmm. and so it was just that A four you imagine an A four in magazine, and then in um, in magenta there was the back to back two Ks and it was chaos mountain wear that was it yeah and in my contact details at bottom. And from that advert, because I think it was so simple and so, you know, chaos, and obviously spelt for K, um, yeah, people wanted to know what it was. Yeah. And so I started turning up at, at, um, at, at, at the uh, dry slope events and meeting people and giving T-shirts away. And then, start, you know, people like Simon Smith and the, and the Santa Cruz team, they were all wearing chaos. Yeah. Um, I sponsored a... a Norwegian guy Cedric Cornell, who was in the Chaos the movie. That's he was, right. Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. was. Uh, he was. He was on the main Santa Cruz team. Wow, really good rider at that time. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we, we we did the Daily Mail ski shows, mm-hmm. and what we did there, we got involved with um, sponsoring the skateboard ramps that they had there and the BMX riders that were riding that because it was you know it was very much in line with yeah, yeah. my background. Um, so we made a big splash at Dame Mouse ski shows. Um, I remember one year we had chaos bucket hats and all the, when we got there early on, um, when everyone was setting up people from the other stalls, you know, this Brigham and wherever, you know, their, their staff were coming and, Oh, these are cool. And they all started buying them. So every, yeah, you went to the Dame Mouse Ski Show that year, and it was like all the staff and all loads of different um, places were wearing like chaos these chaos yeah. sort of bucket hats. And I had to get, yeah, you know, I had to go out and get more like more made and embroidered yeah. um, just to sort of meet the demands. So we were very, I think at that time we were very. It was you know it was young, new, exciting. Um, you know, it was like who, who who's this lot? You know, and, and obviously we were we were at, at the beginning of, of snowboarding. Yeah, and I think there's there's definitely something to do with it being the fact that it was a homegrown brand as well. Like you know, it was with, from within the scene. Yeah, and um, I think the you know one I was, I was gonna I was gonna pipe you know go back to when we when we were doing the skiing stuff, and my brother he 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 came up with um, I think it was him and his mate Scott came up with this idea the nutty bollocks. Ski team, spell, bollocks spelled with an X, and he got these T-shirts with these sort of the, the, this this big block band. It looked like something like a like a two tone record label kind of yeah, uh, yeah, thing, yeah. and holding a, a pair of skis, and it was like the nutty bollocks ski team. And one, one year we went out with, with all these T-shirts, and we had jackets from Mambo, the, mm. the surf company that made yeah, so yeah, many yeah. ski jackets. 
So we already, already had that sort of personal feel of what it is when you go out as a group and you've all got the same kit on and you've yeah. got like, you're, you're, you're the nutty bollocks ski team. So I suppose the chaos thing sort of ended up spinning from that. And when I, with the group of riders that I had, um, I, you know, Simon Smith was, he really, for me, epitomised what, what chaos was all about in that branding and what I, you know, me coming from BMX and, and going through the skateboarding thing, it was... He he really had a look and aesthetic and and the attitude yeah for it so he yeah. sort of became the front end of of, of chaos but then I, I realised I needed I needed to bolster that team up um, in the UK and I there was this fantastic trip that you know back in the early days when there was little pockets of people meeting that were the the snowboarders and you gradually found out in different areas where they yeah, were popping yeah, yeah. up. I remember the first time I went to Aviemore right. and met Tony Brown and the yeah. Snowboard Academy and the scene that he was developing up there. And that was brilliant. That was such a gathering of people. And um, and there I met uh, Mark Webster. Yeah, of course. And, and Mark, not only was he very, was a very good rider and a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, they're going out drinking with them guys, you know, uh, it was, yeah. My, I mean, there's, there's this. Uh, it, it, he, Mark Webster, he just had this kind of very wacky, um, just sense of humour, and the way you would dress, and the things he would do, and the things he would say, and he was just, he was like a real. It was such good fun. Yeah, and he was a good balance with Simon Smith because Simon Smith was a more aggro kind of like quite intense <laughs> character. So, um, yeah, Mark Webster, I got, got him on board. Uh, Mark also said to me, um, Morrow Snowboards. Yeah, you need he was to check out Morrow. Wasn't he? Um, which, I, which I did. Um, ended up going to, flew out to um, Oregon. Yep. Um, it's a beautiful part of the world. And met, I think it was, it was a guy called Brad Stewart. I think his name was. He was. Uh, he he was, went on to start Bonfire. He did Bonfire, and, yeah. And Salomon, didn't he? Um, and he prior to that, he was involved with Sims. Right. So Brad had had, had started, um, had built this like new brand around Rob Morrow. Yeah. Who you know, obviously we got to meet Rob because we brought him ho- over um, to um, to Hintertooks That's in ninety right. one. Which is a big, uh, a big occasion. Um, so I became the distributor of Morrow, um, and that was sort of that was part of the package that Mark Webster wanted. He's like he wanted to, he didn't want to be on Santa Cruz, yeah. He wanted to be on Morrow, yeah. So in a way, he was, you know, Mark was very instrumental in hooking me up with with Morrow Snowball. So so I had Mark Webster, uh, Simon Smith, and then with Mark Webster came Team Nats Chuff. Team Nats Chuff, there's something I haven't heard for a long time. So, yeah, Team Nats Chuff was um, Al Fleming and Gus, from God bless him, from Snow. Acid Snow. Yeah. So they were obviously doing doing the, the Acid Snow thing. And then there was Darren Williamson yeah. um, and Stevie Crampton. And Mark, oh, and I love Steve. Mark I haven't seen him for a long time. Stevie 6P Crampton. <laughs> And the reason he was called Six P is he wanted to come out on the Chaos shoot when we did Chaos the movie, and we was at my my flat down in in Sidcup, and uh, and he was there, and he was like, "Oh, I really want to go." I was like, "Steve, Steve you know, I, I'm not even going." You know, it was like, 
I had too much on, and it was like the expense of it all. Yeah. And uh, I and he, he kept nagging and nagging. Oh, I'll go out there and do photographs. And I said, right, well, how much money have you actually got on you? And he like he emptied out his pockets and he had six pence. <laughs> <laughs> but he went. We put him on the. We put him on in the in the van, in the and, it, the van. and off he went. Um, I don't know whether he even had his passport. I know. I remember back in them days, there was a lot of times we would smuggle people out because they just like they're like, oh yeah, I want to go, and they didn't have their passport. On them. Um, and of course, that so that team that's chuff, which Simon Smith wasn't part of, right? And he wanted to be big time because it was all the Scottish lot, and he was like he'd relocated to to Aviemore and he yeah. wanted to be on Team Match Chuff and, and you'd have to ask him what he had to do to get to gain entry okay. to that elite group of people <laughs> and that was where that whole um, I, I'd also said to Mark Webster we was, we was talking about Kit and what he what he wanted um, and one of the things is uh, hopefully this is going where I hope it's going well one of the things he wanted he said he said and I want a nice dressing gown for when I come <laughs> off the hill and it's got to be purple yeah and I was like, okay, I can do that. And he and and, and then they, and then other people in the team and stuff is like, yeah, we want yeah we want them as well. So we tried to we tried to um, produce these purple dressing gowns by dyeing white dressing, and of course they came out pink, <laughs> and um, or more pink than they were purple. And then a, a big chaos logo embroidered on the back. Yeah. Um, so they yeah they would turn up events in in chaos dressing cans and even compete. I mean there was there's definitely something in getting some of them made like a limited run of them. And like, there was a, there was a, sell them easy. Well there was one there was one advert that we did and it was a photograph by Paul Duffy on um, when we was all out in Hintertooks. Alan Gus wasn't there but the rest of us uh, and and so there was a yeah Webster and and, and Smith and Darren and uh, and um, and uh, Stevie Crampton, and they all had their dressing gowns on, and there was mountains in the background, and uh, and Cy Smith's there on his BMX, yeah, and they're just like, like you know, looking cool and wacky, and I put a, I put a title essential attire for the serious snowboarder. That's right, and I've got that in one of these mags here. I'll find it and post it up with you when this goes out. But people phoned up, you know, where can I get a, a, a dressing gown? And it was, you know. So that, so you know that I started really putting this nice team of people together. Then this um, another rider, Justin Allison, came along. Yeah, how and, did he get involved? Because he was out in Chamonix, wasn't he? So yeah, he was. He was um, so he approached me at uh, I think it was a London ski show, Daniel Mel ski show, um, and again he was, he was talking to me about skateboarding, and I think I I because he was based in London, I went I met him. Uh, at a skate park, and just to see what you know, just have a meet with him. And he, and he was, he he just demonstrated to me that he had this very natural ability as a as a rider of board. Yeah, yeah. Where Cy Smith was quite chaotic in the way that he rode, and and um, Justin was very, he was a very cool, smooth rider. Um, and he was based in Chamonix, or he wanted to go to Chamonix. Um, so yeah, I got him on on board as well, uh, and he got quite quite involved with with um, uh, helping us design the you know the next season's kind of clothing and stuff. Right, and then he and then he'd gone out to to Chamonix, um, and we kitted him out with stuff, 
and he was he was also sort of getting good photos and video. I've, you know, some of the some of the video stuff in in Chaos the movie, he he got by himself. Yeah, that was shot. You can tell it was shot on sort of well, film, wasn't it? Not so. He's, so in in Chaos the movie, he was um, yeah. That was that was shot on a, a sixteen millimeter yeah. film, I think. Yeah, you can tell the difference. <clears> but he'd said to me, I'll, it, I'd already started planning Chaos the movie, and he said, oh, I really want to be in it. What do I have to do to be in it? And I said, and he was a juggler. He used to juggle because right, yeah. he was part of the Camden scene as well. There's a lot of people juggling. Him. So I said, and he do. Uh, I, I said to him, well, if you can get yourself up in the air on a paraglider and juggle and film it, then that will go in the movie. So it was a bit <laughs> of a sort of like I'll set you, I'll set the bar high. And he went off and he did it. So he was, um, he was. something that's got bubble wrap around it. So he was, um, he was, he was doing that. The rest of the, uh, the other thing is, is that that at that time I had um, uh, Jeremy Sladen came on board. Yeah, see, I didn't know, I didn't know Jeremy was involved in it at all until he was here the other day, and we were talking that you were coming in, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I worked with him, Ian, for a bit," and I was like, "Didn't know that." The omnipresent Jeremy Slater. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jeremy really, as as other people in, in in other podcasts that you've done have said, you know, Jeremy was driving all around the country. Uh, you know, he knew everybody. Yeah. Um, when he when he approached me with chaos, or we got talking, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how it came about, but he he he's. I remember him saying, "This is going to be the next Vision Streetwear." Because you know, in skateboarding, Vision yeah, Vision yeah. was a big brand, uh, and he saw it. He saw it go into that magnitude, and he he was very capable of, from a sales perspective, of taking it there. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, ultimately, I couldn't. My company was a yeah, it was a tiny little shoebox of a of a company, um, and I have to say, we let Jeremy down. Right. You know, he, um, he, he, I remember him turning up in London uh, when we had agreed to, to take him on. Um, and he said to me, um, right, where's your, where, um, we need to write some press releases or we need to send out some prices. Where's your word processor? I was like, what's, what's a word processor? <laughs> <laughs> we done everything by hand. It was all written, you know, yeah, it was yeah, all yeah. written. And um, he went out and bought a word processor. And it was like, right, we need more vans on the road. We went to we went to a full dealership because Jeremy was in cars, and we bought a couple of really nice um, cars to drive. We well, had mobile phones when mobile phones were just a brick, <laughs> and you'd carry them around. around. It was, um, and so Je- Jeremy kind of he he, went, he got us a deal in JD Sports, right? Uh, um, he got us into Brigham's. I, I think it was in Brigham's at, at one point. Um, and then, and loads of other shops. And he was, um, he got us hooked up with, um, with music bands. Um, yeah. Jesus Jones was a music band, and they, yeah, they were yeah, all yeah. on the top of the pops and chaos t-shirts, that kind of thing. So Jeremy really, I think for Jeremy, he saw chaos as like, right, I can really, I can really flourish with this and yeah. what he was doing. Um, and it probably, he was probably with me for maybe six nine months, but. We literally blew the company up, you know, because there was we, the expenditure that needed to go into 
buying the cars, having the office, having the uh, uh, you know a secretary, all the rest of it. It was suddenly my overheads were were huge. Yeah. And did we you were, did you get to making like technical outerwear? Because I mean, yeah, that, well, that I mean that must be a massive leap going from you know sort of screen printing t shirt like all manageable stuff. Yeah. So all of a sudden you've got to make a collection, get samples, show them around, and then you know have some funds in place to actually get all that stuff made, then just deliver it to the shops. Then they're on like thirty or sixty days before any money comes. I mean that's a different business, isn't it? Yeah, and <clears throat> I mean even JD Sports that was such a massive order and that. Um, that causes a lot of problems. You know, suddenly you're having to manufacture all of this gear and get all and finance it and get the delivery time sorted. Yeah. And and I'd gone out, I'd gone on a holiday with my girlfriend to Thailand, and we saw manufacturing out there that was some amazing stuff that was really they were selling it on street markets, super yeah, cheap. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, let's look into this. So we we got all these samples done in Thailand. This is also when Jeremy came came on on board. So at all this, you know, and they told us how much they could send them, you know, sell it to us for. But when JD Sports put a massive order in, we had to then figure out how we get this manufacturing done in in um, Thailand and through to and and in the end we couldn't do it. And we had to make the t-shirts elsewhere, and we had to dye them so they was the right color. And then they stitching started falling apart. It was no all way. kinds of, and then you start making big mistakes when I say big mistakes you know that cost a lot of money um and that was that was the you know the financial burden in the end and the organization burden burden on what we were doing with chaos was was just too much yeah and it and it's and it started it all started imploding but to answer your question technical where we did it uh we did one season yeah of one season of some really nice samples um, which somebody sent me through the post a couple of years ago. I don't know who sent it to me. I got this chaos jacket, no way. technical chaos jacket, which was made in England. Yeah, uh, through the post. There was a company called um, Phoenix, which was a big ski brand at the time. Yeah. I remember the two big ones, Phoenix and Nevica. But Phoenix was a bit more kind of like homegrown, uh, the way I saw it. And and I spoke to the guy there. I actually got to know that guy from Phoenix after going to apologise it to him. Because one of our lot had set fire to his banner at the Great British Ski Week in 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 Hintertux. <laughs> which maybe we should we should we should touch on that because <clears throat> I as I was travelling around to ski shops trying to persuade them to buy Santa Cruz snowboards, I went to this little ski shop and I think it was out out Slough Wave sort of somewhere, and um, I was talking to this guy. And he was telling me he was a skier and it was a full on ski shop. I think they bought one snowboard off me, you know, yeah. just a stick in their shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long way to go to, to sell one snowboard. Anyway, he was telling me about the Great British, British Ski Week, which was held once a year at, right at the end of the season in May, where all those people from the ski industry and all the British ski team, they all got together for a big shindig. Big old jolly. And when you told me this, I'm like, we you know, we were you know in scope with with snowboarders, we were punk rock, we yeah. were anarchists, we yep. were like this, just like you know, and skiing was the that was the target, that was the sort of that was that represented the establishment. 
Hundred percent. That needed knocking off its perch. Fucking right. So when he's when he when he this guy told me about the Great British Ski Week in and it was and I found out it was in Hintertooks in May. I was like, that's where that's our target. That's where we need to go and 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 bring chaos literally. <laughs> so <clears throat> we um we went to uh, I remember to, you know I got Tony Brown involved in it as well. So he, he drove down in his. In his transit from Scotland, with with a bunch of people from there, uh, I had my my Santa Cruz van. Uh, we took out we took out all my my I was DJing. You know, I did a many years DJing. I I took out my twelve ten turntables and box of records, and we took nice. we did take this rave DJ out. It was a friend of Paul Duffy's, a photographer, <laughs> and we, so we we went out there in two vans. Yeah, um, to Hintertooks. Meanwhile. The Daily Mail ski magazine were going to do a board test, yeah, and it was at the same week. And I found out about this through uh, Lloyd Rogers, who lovely guy, but he was sponsored by Needecker uh, Snowballs and and Needecker and Ben White from the Speed of the Keep. The Speed of Keep. Ben and I, we were like big rivals at the time. Yeah, right. it was me with Santa Cruz and him with Needecker and and at the ski shows and whatever. So. I phoned up Danny Mouse uh, magazine. Um, sorry about this, Lloyd, if you do, if you listen to this. But I phoned up and I said, you can't have Lloyd Rogers do it because he's going to be biased to Needecker. Yeah, you need Eddie Spearing, and Eddie had already sort of like been thinking along that. So Eddie ended up going out there to do the board test. So it was the first ever board test. I also took Rob Morrow. So we flew Rob over from Oregon. And he came out with us, so we 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 went we went out there, Team Chaos and and, and Snowboard Academy with Tony Brown, um, and we went to Hintertooks for the Great British Ski Week. <laughs> and we'd already pre-planned to throw some parties, um, which we did, and we um, we it's not that we did, like personally speaking, you know. The sensible part of me was like, I want to go and meet the ski industry. I want to network. I want yeah. to. F- I want to see what what they're doing. Yeah. Um, the other part of me is like, yeah, I, I, I do want to write. I do. I do want to. <laughs> I do want to make a make a, a our presence known. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think what the shocking thing with ski skiing was is they thought when snowboarders first started coming along and it was all hard boot, boots and carve carving boards and and the rest of it and the really steep angles, they all thought. It's going to be a maybe an extension from skiing that's a bit of a fad, but the reality of it is, you know, if you go back to surfing and California surfing, you know, Dogtown Z Boys, the movie really describes yeah. it well. As you can, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. coming out of certain, you know, when you couldn't go in the waves, you know, there's skateboarding scene. So that whole kind of lineage from surfing and skateboarding, you know, that was what was coming to town. So the ski the ski people they really didn't comprehend no. that. No, it was just it was it, a different culture. Yeah, absolutely. it was a culture clash. Just happened to be in the same, done in the same place, and that that uh, week at Hintertooks uh, that was that was incredible week for so many reasons. And we we got kicked out of um, one hotel, went to another hotel. I remember I remember there's one reason we got kicked out of hotel is we. Go on. We went down to the bar after we'd been out. When I went down to the bar and it was closed, and we all decided we'd sneak in and like you know 
have a razzle around and find find something to drink. And I remember we were all trying to sneak around behind the bar, you know, like you know, finding finding uh, bottles of beer and wine or whatever. And um, Webster slams the main lights on because we couldn't see anything. And we're there like in the, like big lights on. And he comes he comes running out with this massive sort of trophy bottle of wine, huge, you know, it's like a five litre sort of, you know, yeah, limited yeah, yeah. edition bottle of wine. And I remember as we were running away um, through the hotel, he tripped and this bottle just smashed against this <laughs> white wall all over the floor. <laughs> Oh man, and it was in the end we couldn't. We got kicked out of two hotels, and and all others wouldn't take us in. So the last night we actually camped out. That's oh, in that's in chaos. The movie isn't it? There's people in yeah, we, in sleeping bags with a board as a pillow. I don't yeah, and um and some people didn't even have sleeping bags. So that's yeah, we were taking banners down, and that was the that was the other thing is like you know some people some people did take it a bit too far because there was banners were set ski banners were set fire to and, and slashed with with knives and yeah. it was and i was like well that no this this is a bit yeah this is a bit too much so but that actually um opened up the opportunity for me to go and actually speak to these people from skiing and and, and by way of apology you know get to and they, and they were very gracious i have to say yeah. and a guy from phoenix he actually uh, helped me out with sort of technical also um White stuff, which was a, a they were out of Valdezere, weren't they? Out they? of Valdezere, Sean and George, and that, they were very helpful. First of all, in 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 uh, you know guiding me. Um, that's actually been bought out by Marks and Spencers now. Fucking no <laughs> I was way! In, I was in Marks and Spencer <laughs> the other week, and I was looking for taking my son son um, snowboarding for the first time, um, and I was like, well. Yeah, it costs a costs a small fortune, doesn't it? it can, or it can do to go can snowboarding do, yeah. if you do it all legit. Like we have to now as as, as mature, sensible adults with yeah. kids in tow. And I've gone into I've gone into Marks and Spencer's, and yeah, it was white stuff. And I was like, no, that's not the same, surely. And I looked it up, and it was. So that at some point they'd, but um, you know, so if I'd have played my cards right, Chaos Mountain where could have been in John Lewis by now. Could have been. But it wasn't, and I'm very. <laughs> I'm not. We look. It shone bright for a. It shone, shone bright, very bright for a short time. I would say it shone bright for about eighteen months, and it was so much fun. And we made the movie, and the movie was a lot of fun. I hated it when I first saw the the final edit because right. I I it, it wasn't edited in the way that I wanted, and I kind of didn't really want to have the skiing in it so much but the guy that I'd made the deal with to shoot it uh, Dave Romani's main name was um, I met in Dick's Bar in Val <laughs> He's he part of the deal was he would put a skier in it as well yeah. and I, I, I've looked at the castle movie last night before coming here thank you very much by the way for putting it putting it on uh, on YouTube I don't think I was the first I think I was the first I was, I've had it I've had it on VHS for a while that was given to me by a former guest Cool Bus Rob because I knew he had a copy I had a copy lost to time and then I got it finally got it digitised and then when I put it up I noticed that someone else someone else had put it up as well well I, had, I hadn't seen it I hadn't seen it for I don't I know I can 25, literally name every years. fucking shot in that movie I've watched it so many times but you know what I, 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 as I say I, I, I like I love the three minute version we've done I really like that and when I got that back I was like yeah I really like that 
when the 20 minute version come back or whatever it is we sat down in my uh, i was at my my uh, apartment in sidcup and i think i think i remember justin was there and i think i think Sim, Sim smith and webster was there as well and we played it through for the first time and they sort of congratulated me on like making this film yeah and i felt oh, i'm not happy with that no it wasn't what wasn't your vision i want to do that again um so, but uh, looking at it again last night after decades of not, I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. Because I just think I'd got to see it just as a neutral almost. You yeah. Know? And it was not, not as a, with a critical eye. <clears throat> um, and I thought, I thought there was a, it was a lot of fun in a lot of parts. And I think there's de- definitely, in the shape of Simon Smith and, and Mark Webster, um, sending them out and entrusting them to go out and meet this Dave Roman and shoot the stuff that was yeah. done in Velda's air. You know, they did a really good job and, and, and got, got on board with it, with what we were doing. Man, that video just teed me up. I mean, I love the fact it was really DIY. And I think there's something about the British scene that has a massive streak of DIYness running through it. And I think that's one of those things that sort of set that in stone. And it also just teed me up like I finished... What did I do? I finished A-levels in 93. And I was like, right, I'm going to Valazair off the back of that movie. Wow. And like GJ's, it was like, let's just go to GJ's and work it out. Like we didn't know anyone or have any fucking clue what we were doing. But it was like the chaos team came here and hung out here. So there must be some sort of energy, residual energy that will just, it will be fine. And it was fine. Yeah, you know, you know, it's things like it's even things like that. Even later on, that you you just think, yeah, I'm 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 really glad, and and now looking back, proud to have, to have done that film. Yeah, however rough and ready it was, and 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 misedited, and I know it's like Stu Brass commented on one of your posts about that him and his brother side watched it uh, again. It was probably the same time to you, and found it inspiring to go out. So. Yeah, if we can do things like that in the you know when we get positions like that where you can where you can you know you can I suppose it's like lead by example in a way and 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 and, and inspire other people. Yeah, well, it had it all. You know, like there's some piece riding, there's some off piece and stuff, and there's some Scotland, and then there's like hand built jumps. Like you don't yeah. have to be riding something in a resort in America. Do you know what I mean? It was like you can just build a jump anywhere and fucking go off it and do what you want and it was that that sort of just was like i can do whatever i want like this is wide open i can just do whatever i want on this snowboard and that's and i think chaos the movie really sort of made it all right for me to think that and uh, and that's that's there's lessons that you know there in life in general is that if you really want to do something whatever it is and you're passionate about it you will find a way you just have to you just have to step forward in faith and and it will um it will come around and 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 certainly that yeah that period that period of of chaos was um and doing that was brilliant um but yeah it was it was a bright light for for 18 months um then it you know it it sort of it collapsed i suppose in a sort of structural sense then i got offered to i got offered by a company to go out to to the US and start it from there. Right. So that was massive for me because, you know, 
I'd grown up seeing BMX bikes come out of America and then the skateboarding come yeah, out. Everything of America came out of California, California didn't yeah. it? Essentially. So the, the 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 thought of going to California and and starting chaos. And it was a guy called uh, Philip Philip Roger Pinole, who is an American guy who was he was um, bringing in all the um, Greg Stump ski movies and then i think he started importing full line films critical condition right. all that kind right. of stuff and it, so he was he was at daniel ski shows and these other ski shows at the same time as i was doing chaos it, he was he was flogging all the ski movies yeah so it, and he was only a young guy he was the same sort of age as me and and he he invited me to to go out you know when it had started imploding in the uk for chaos he he said Look, set it up in in California, and then it will naturally come back over here. Yeah, everything does. Um, so I, I I I did I dabbled around with the US. Um, I spent more time in Belgium than I did in California because he's <laughs> he married a lady from Belgium, and they had right. a, a, a they had a, a a windmill farm in Belgium. A windmill farm. Um. And in that windmill farm in Belgium, when I, I what had happened is I'd escaped the UK. Yeah, I had a lot of creditors at the time. Uh, the whole thing had collapsed. The recession had bit in. I lost yeah. my apartment, lost my girlfriend, lost the fleet of vans, lost me escort cabriolet. You know, I, I lost all that. Tough times. I literally lost the clothing off and back. The only thing I kept was my record collection and my 1210s. Good work. But after chaos, it, it, it completely cleaned me out. Respect to that. Um, and... I always remember Philip saying, look, just turn up with the clothes on your back. You know, you don't need anything else and we'll figure it out. So that that's that's what I did, you know, after chaos. Um, and I spent a lot of time in Belgium. And what happened in Belgium, I got a lot of time to think. The time in time in uh, Belgium, in this windmill, little windmill site in Belgium, I then really started to think about uh, life in general, but, but also started to think about chaos as not just as a clothing brand but as a kind of uh as a story and our i i i just kind of started going down different roads with it and I, I was getting more and more into art yeah and unbeknownst to me at the time you know a lot of the imagery and the uh, the symbolism that we put into chaos there was the first of all the back-to-back k's and then the next logo that we had was the star yeah the, in the star circle, yeah. which was a, a, a popular one and um, and my brother sort of being you know, you mentioned how he was influenced. My brother was very much um, uh, heavy metal, right? Um, and I was more punk. We both been very much into sort of post punk with with the two tone label and yeah. the specials and madness, yeah, yeah. all that kind of thing. So there was that sort of punky edge thing. Um, in the, on the art side of things, I started really getting into the art and exploring the art. And when, the thing is, with like when you get into that especially with a name like Chaos and playing around with pentagons and, and other sort of <laughs> anarchic things. that could be. I started sort of falling into this, sort of, I guess, this sort of the spirituality side of it, right? which is quite dark. Yeah. Um, we also, I don't know, if it, we, I kind of went through this phase. I'd also spent a lot of time in Camden, which initially introduced where that's where Justin Anderson was, and I met a load of people from Camden when it when chaos first imploded. I took all of my old stock that I had and sold it through Camden Market, Camden Market, just yeah. to uh, just to have a few quid. Yeah, and then we sold out of all the ex stock we had, so we started making new stock just for Camden Market, not for yeah. 
any ski shops or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had, I had, that led me into a very sort of humble existence of, of, of and I got moved in with a, a girlfriend who, who lived up that way. And we were doing, we were doing Camden Lock Market every weekend with Chaos Clothing, and it no was way. that was the only place you could get it. And that was some of the best stuff we made went through there. I also got there was a, a company making, designing, making their own rings and jewelry. So we got Chaos Rings done. <laughs> And then the top hats came from there. We got these like, right. chaos top hats. Yeah. So I, I started getting influence, not not just from Snowball, but from what was going on in Camden. Yeah. And I also got into music there. I met a lot of musicians. I started playing percussion um, and, and getting into drumming. And so chaos sort of shifted away from snowboarding and skateboarding yeah. into a different kind of genre. And, of course, that didn't really work. So what, I remember going doing a Soltec ski show one year. The yeah. trade show. It was called Soltex, wasn't Soltex, it? Yeah. yeah. At GMEX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive. So every every March in Manchester. And I did um I did uh nineteen ninety four, I think it was. I kinda did a bit of a comeback, but my stall and Cy Spiff was still involved in it. Um and we did this stall and it was I think it was a work of art looking back on it. And it was where we had the chaos rings and we'd done it in a sort of, you, you had to, to get into the stand, you sort of had to walk through a little little doorway. Nice. Wasn't it? And, it, and it was very kind of, it was almost like walking into a, a tarot card reading place or something. <laughs> and we done, and all the logos and graphics of the shirts were all really well considered and thought out because mm. I'd had this time in building to explore that. Interestingly, I remember meeting Leslie McKenna Oh yeah, and she was sort of working. She was you know, a very spiritual lady. She is, and um, saw her, watched her film by the way. Uh, yeah, the Thrawn. Thrawn, Thrawn yeah, it's great, just, isn't it? Just just a couple of days ago, which uh, brought back a lot of memories and, and made me realise how wonderful Leslie. You know, meeting Leslie and and she actually spent time up in in Avignon one time. She said to me with this whole chaos thing and what I was exploring with the magic side of it. She went. She was like. A lot of this stuff really isn't good, Ian. You know, you need to, you need to, and she was right. She, she really kind of, she really led me away from that, right? Into a, into a, a, a better place. In a, it sounds a bit bizarre to talk about spirituality yeah, no, I on, like a, it. it's good. on a snowboarding pod, podcast, but I definitely, with the, with the anarchy of chaos, and and also with my personal anger of it all crashing and imploding and thinking, yeah, sure. oh, it's this person's fault, that's person. And I was, a, I, I was going for a very angry phase. And I think I definitely, and then um, being in Camden, um, smoking a lot of weed at that time as well and getting into all kinds of weird and wonderful head spaces. Um, and I remember, going, I remember going up to Aviemore one time and seeing Tony Brown and Rissi and, and, and Leslie, she... she, she Took me to this uh, lake, and I, I, I'd have to look up the name of it. It was something like Loch Anna Neelan or something like that. Right. And it was like an anagram of me and my brother's name, Neil right. and Ian. Okay. And I took this ring up there, chaos, this chaos ring, which was really quite devilish, you know, demonic ring. Yeah. And and Leslie sort of sort of, you know, she sort of we we did a sort of like a, a ritual, a sort of prayerful uh, ritual. Uh, you know, uh, and and I tossed this chaos ring into the into the into the lock to sort of say, right, that's it. I'm not 
being a part of 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 any of that sort of nonsense anymore. Right. So you know, um, yeah. There's a little little nugget on um, spiritual awakening on the on the spiritual awakening, and and it was a lot of things happened as well at that time. I realised I needed to get away from this whole chaos thing and what it was doing to me. Um, I started snowboarding with friends that were outside of the industry. Yeah. Because when it all collapsed, I felt very much like I felt like a big failure. Right. You know, and I turn up and people would be like, "Oh yeah, there's." Yeah, they'd be oh yes, Ian, he's going through a tough time and Yeah. And I was a bit off me it's you know, with smoking weed and being angry and being upset and Yeah, and I guess at that point as well there was sort of sort of the business, as we were talking about earlier, the business side had definitely come into it and there were people doing you know, they'd sort of taken brands and sort of flown with them, was it? Because there was a lot of demand, so it was probably not the not the most difficult thing to make work. No, Get a no. couple of brands under your belt and off you go. Yeah, and the, and the the biggest the biggest thing for me was um, going. Uh, I, I basically got I did, yeah. I did the the, the, the Soltec show in '94, um, and then I uh, there's a, a chap came along, uh, Peter Bowers, lo- lovely guy who who he was London based, and he he was just a snowboard enthusiast. He was just like. You know, one of the guys that was, you know, he was he was, he was a civilian. Yeah, you know, <laughs> And he he kind of he came in and he was he 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 came to my uh, where my office was and he I think he just saw the state of the place and the state of me and how how much stress and pressure I was under trying to yeah. And he 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 basically offered to help out, and he got um he got me a deal with a guy uh some businessman up in North London somewhere who was nothing to do with snowball and everything but because he was a like businessman and he i thought well that's probably what i need i need someone who's who's got accountancy and yeah knowledge and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know and he he started to fund us so, so then it was and he did it really really strict so there was none yeah there's none like right let's all go out and and, and make another chaos the movie you know and wing it it was like yeah. no no it was everything had to be calculated so it was, it was highly restrictive and i'd also linked up with a clothing company called uh, Komodo, which was more uh, yeah, that general main I, yeah, know, I yeah, met yeah. them from Camden as well, and Mark Bloom, uh, amazing guy, and they were they were throwing the most g- wicked parties. Uh, great DJs, they were really happening as a clothing label in London and and, yeah. and beyond. So I linked up with them, and they they produced a range of sample clothing for Chaos. Right. Took them to Soltec in 1995, and got to the got to gmx and the organizer said well we, we you haven't paid for your stand so this guy had refused he said no i'm not putting any more money into it until until you get some sales in and i was like no we've got to do we've got to do this yeah show. that's where you get the sales and he uh and he and he wouldn't pay for it and that and and the organizer said well we can't give you the stand without without payment um and then Mark Webster, who was doing Nixon watches at the time, yeah, he was he took a hotel room. So he said to me, "Look, just get a hotel room, and you can show, you know, invite people over and show you something was there." And I, and it, it just didn't work. No, yeah, you couldn't get people out. Of, it might work for for Mark, uh, but for me, I think by that time my soul was crushed or, yeah. or beginning to be crushed. And walking around GMX for that trade show and trying to get people all oh, come over and look at the you know i'd done these quite 
significant trade show stands in previous years. Yeah. Uh, and it just didn't work. And what I observed in 1995 was suddenly the green light went on to ski shops to say, you've got to get involved in snowboarding because it's happening. It yeah. is gonna, it isn't a fad. It is here. It is going to blow up. So that was a massive year for people buying into snowboarding and snowboarding kit and snowboarding attire and everything else. And I, and I, I wasn't there. I, I was there in, in body, but I didn't have the stand. So looking at all my peers and all my you know, colleagues and associates having this bumper year, yeah, and I and I missed it, and it was, I left, and that was the death of chaos. Yeah, that must have been. I, tough. I, it was, it was, hardest thing I've ever lived through in my life. Yeah, because it bet. was literally, I, I, I left G Max, went back down, stayed with my parents in 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 Eltham, Eltham in London, and I was like, well, that's it, that's done, it's for snowboarding. That is, that was, um, and that that was. We use this, the term soul destroying. Mm. You know, that was that was a proper that was soul destroying experience. And it, it literally um I, I sunk into a like solid three month depression. Right. Couldn't couldn't you know couldn't get my head around doing anything. Um and so in the end started you know, started swimming every day just nice. to get myself fit again, took up martial arts, really got into that. And then went to went back to um, the shop in Bromley, the, to the old City. Skate City, which had been just meandering along, kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. not really doing much, and it and also had suffered debt from the sort of fallout from the chaos thing. Um, and at that time, inline roller skates had, was was the next yeah, boom yeah, yeah. thing. Teed up and I'd already I'd done two booms by then, so I knew how to do it. Yeah. So we made a we made a big thing out of inline roller skates. And that funded us to build skateboard ramps again yeah. in in Bromley. Um, so again, it was it was it was all located in one place. So I wasn't doing international stuff. I wasn't. But what I did start doing was commentating at the events. I'd already sort of started. Yeah. Back in the day, I'd, I'd take my DJ in gear and I'd take them to the dry slopes and I'd commentate. I was doing that back in the chaos days. But then snowboarding, um, bear in mind I'd stepped out of the industry by then, snowboarding started to get really big and get big sponsors at the Brits. Yeah, and there was a lot of dry slope. And there was a lot of activity on dry slope, wasn't there? There was like four or five big competitions every year and there was all sorts going on, wasn't there, really? Yeah, so to, 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 take, to take the turntables and, and turn up and, and, and do, do the commentary. And when the, obviously, there's, you know, there's the big one that we spoke about earlier with, in Sheffield. Yeah. Um, but before, before getting on to that, there's the stuff that was, I remember like doing, well, it was, yeah, I mean, that, that, there, there was one where, and it was Evian Water, G-Shock, Casio Watches, that Sony. That one that was supposed to be in Teen, everyone stayed in Teen, but everything was in Valdezere. Don't know. They all Might start blurring into one. Yeah, they, they do. That's, don't the, they? that's the thing. But um, uh, because of what I was doing, you know, doing work work wise back in England, I didn't I didn't get to a, you know a, a lot of the earlier Brits. But when I started doing the commentating, and I I think I did five years of right. of Brit cool, yeah. championship commentating. But I remember going to I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Lax, and we had amazing hotel rooms. <laughs> We all got paid. All yeah. travel covered. Yeah. Um, 
there was like um, we would there was the DJs by that time. It was a guy called Magnus. I think it was part of the Chamonix crew was coming That's out right. and doing yeah, DJ. Yeah, yeah. Later on, we got Ninja Tunes because then you got Board X, Andrew Matley, right. and them guys, and yeah. and Jenny Arnell, and um, yeah, they they were when Board X came into it and took it on. It started really ramping up the Brits. Yeah, massive. Um, and that was, um, it, yeah. So though suddenly we had, you know, or the BSA had budgets to put on really substantial events. And and part um, part one of the years, the spot, the part of the sponsorship deal coming in is that it had to have television as well. Yeah, because that's what the the bigger sponsors want. So after the uh, one of the Brits, I forget which one it was. The TV company that shot it. They they asked me if I would do the voiceover. Yeah, yeah. For that Brits, so it was a little little um, uh, publishing uh, uh, TV company in Parsons Green. So I went up and did the voiceover for that, and I think it was shown on ITV or something. And then they started uh, a, a series on Sky called Wild Spirits. Okay, I don't know about which this. was an extreme sports kind of thing. Yeah, and they did, they gave me a season of shows, so I did. 13 shows I think on that so I'd go in there every every you know once a week and yeah. I'd do voiceovers and that in the studio and it was you know that was a lot of fun yeah um and I was doing the the, the Brits and then of course that that then sort of dovetailed into um uh well so at one point you know when I started working for the BSA I started meeting people like um uh Graham Bell because Graham was doing he was working for the he was working for the BSSF, you know, British Ski and Snowball Federation, sort of as a as a consultant. And he was working with the British team as well as doing Ski Sunday. And we were at, um, we were at, I think it's Heathrow Airport uh, with the British ski team, and they were flying out somewhere. And it was a meeting. I think John O'Grady was there, and I was sat next to Graham, and we'd already been out on a few trips together. Yeah. And he he was coming up to the 2002 Olympics, and he and he he said um he said, um, I'm supposed to be doing the snowball commentary, he said, but I'm I'm really worried about it. I don't really know enough about it. No. So we had a chat, and I went, "Well, do you want a hand?" Literally like that. I can't think of anything anybody worse to be commentating snowboarding than Graham Bell. Well, it was very it was very good um, in in general, and I, I learned a lot from him. But I, I he, he I said, "Do you want a hand?" He said, "Well, what are you thinking?" I said, "Well, I'll come out there and do it with you." And uh, we went. I got. A, I went to. He got me a meeting with BBC. Very sort of like simple meeting. Went in there with like a. Went in there with a, a letter from John O'Grady from the BSA. Um, and I, they did a little <laughs> test run with me. Yeah. And then they went. Yep, yeah, you've got the job. We'll Sweet. we'll find out there. And the thing is, as as you said earlier, you know, Ed Ed Lee by this time it was really coming to the forefront of what he what he was doing uh, and and doing it extremely well. So, so got, is this like the first Olympics with snowboarding? Was it? Was no, that, it was. Um, uh, was it Nagano? Nagano. That, that was ninety-eight, and that was um, that they didn't send a snowball person out for that one. It was oh, I forgot his name. Um, it, the guy who done board stupid. Normski. Phil Young. No, Phil Young. Yes. Sorry, Phil, if you're listening. Yeah, Phil Young. He did the commentating from London. In there, right. so he sort of did it as a voiceover. So 2002 was the first time. Yeah, you, know, you had Leslie McKenna was the first British snowboarder going out to yeah to uh, to the Olympics in 2002, 
Um, yeah, Ed, Ed, I was say, you know, Ed, Ed Lee was do, was by this time he, he was becoming very prominent in in uh, in the commentating scene after you know me doing it for many years, and he and I actually met up because he he heard that I was doing the the commentating, yeah, um, and other people had heard, and they're like, well, shouldn't Ed be doing it? Um, so Ed and I met up, and I think it was I think again it was one of the ski shows in London, and we just had a real. It's first proper good conversation I had with with Ed, and we had just had a proper sort of heart to heart and got to know each other, and basically came out of a gentle gentleman's agreement that I would do the the Olympics, yeah. and that and then I I, I would step yeah you know, I'd be stepping back, and then he would not that I needed to step back, but it was it was an it was I remember it being a very nice exchange, nice where we kind of shook hands, and and I always remember Ed saying to me. Um, remember to enjoy it mm. when you commentate. Remember to have fun with it, and it, it, it's something that when when you get little snippets like that, um, it's great. Another snippet I got from uh, when I was doing the um, when I was doing TV work, it was like you're not talking to millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people uh like you like you might do when you when you're at a live event you're talking to a big crowd. Yeah. Absolutely. When you're doing T V it's like, no, you you're you're talking to maybe like, you know, um a family sat at home. Or you're talking to like, you know, you know, a couple on the cattle or a teenage kid, you know, yeah. or whatever. You're talking to individuals. Yeah, yeah. And I remember shooting the um it, it was BBC Grandstand at the time at, so that was doing the Olympics. And I remember like being on the uh, shooting these grandstand guides, they were called. So, it was, you know, I got to write them and go up with a, a, a film crew and shoot shoot these uh, introductions into snowboarding. Yeah. And um, I remember doing the one, I had to do one for the half pipe, and I kept getting it wrong. I kept saying half pipe rather than half. <laughs> and they just, you know, when they're winding you up, and they go, no, you've got to do it again, Ian. Yeah. Right? And then, yeah, and, but they just like, they, and, yeah, they kept it in as it was from a Cockney accent. But when I when I was doing this the one for the slalom, I I scooted down to the cameraman on the on the on the snowboard, and and I was talking. I was on a radio mic, and I was saying, and it all comes down to the final battle for bronze, silver. And as I as I skidded up to the camera, I, I lifted up my goggles and looked looked into the lens <laughs> and saw this fat bloke in a string vest with a can of tenants. Uh, or special brew, and I looked at this bloke, imaginary bloke in the lens, and went bronze and gold, and pointed into it. And it was that it just gave you that kind of. And I, I, my first day commentating at the Olympics um, was was the half pipe for the for women, and I, all the attention was on Leslie. Yeah, uh, I'd studied all the female riders and what they were doing, um, so I felt pretty confident. And I was, I, I had. Um, yeah, you know, I was sort of like Graham's wingman, yeah, essentially. And when, um, uh, but before Graham got there, he was he was commentating on the men's downhill. So our thing was was to basically do the do the the first shoot um, that would all be recorded and then it would be shown later on BBC Two. And what had happened because they the BBC One was live showing the the men's downhill, which of course it was, yeah, the event. Big, yeah. There'd been a, a an accident on the men's downhill, uh, and they'd had to get you know get um, yeah emergency teams in to deal with it. So then they just uh, suddenly the producer was in the little the little cabin with me um, uh, at the bottom of the half pipe. She suddenly like 
gone bolt upright. She went, oh my God, we're going live. You're on. She's like, <laughs> we, yeah. And so I had, I had the, I had the, um, uh, the producer in, in the main BBC producer. He's saying, right, we're now going live to London in three, two, one. And then I hear Steve Rido, who's the main guy at the BBC at the time, his voice came on and he said, you know, we're now going live to Park City where we've where Leslie McKenna is about to drop in and we've got our snowball correspondent, Ian Felton, uh, live to tell us what's going on. And suddenly you're no there, that, that was six million people and you're there like, like live. Yeah. Yeah. And wow, what a buzz, the adrenaline just kicks in. Uh, and of course, then Leslie starts her run, and as she said in her podcast, you know, it was it was a, I mean, the Olympics was like massive as an event, and and and, and to quote her, she says she felt like a, a deer in headlights. Really. Yeah. And so she drops in, and she sort of messed the first part of her, her run up, and then just blew the blew the remaining run out, just sort yeah. of uh, beeline straight through. So, um, uh. But I, you know, I carried it through as because you know, I'd gone live on the first day. When I got back to the, the BBC Centre, all the people had come back from all their various sports, um, and I got this massive round of applause. No and way! Hayes Worthine came up to me and congratulated <laughs> me, and, it, and it, you suddenly you're one of the one of the family. Then I went out that night and we partied with the. I mean, it's Fitz Strobord won the men's downhill for Austria. Right. And I, I, we, I got to wear his medal and we just partied and got <laughs> super drunk. And I woke up the next morning, big hangover, uh, and realised I had to do the men's halfpipe <laughs> and completely fucked it up. Oh, really? I was, I was, I was in the, I, I, because I've done all this focus on Leslie's uh, journey and the, and the women's halfpipe. And we'd had a. Uh, I didn't do enough background research with the men's. Yeah. And it, and it, um and I, I remember you know when you when you know when you're really hungover and you've had a good time, but then you suddenly got this pressure to do stuff that you don't really want to do just because you just you want to go back to bed. Yeah. It was a it was a little bit like that. Um, then I did the slalom events, which which was which, which were good. Stepped away from that, and that was the last. That was the last time I've ever. Commented on uh, snowboarding, it, you know, not bad. It, in the UK. Not bad. Since. Not bad. Not bad way to bow out, though, right? It was brilliant, and I think, you know, and, and I thanks thanks to Ed for being a, a gentleman and, and sort of uh, and, and giving me his blessing to sort of go away and do that. Because rightly speaking, you know, he was really sort of on the ascendancy with that, and obviously he's gone on. He's and, really and good it. at. Um, I think he he manages to get what's happening in the event across to Joe public watching. I think that's a real art form. And there's not many people that do it well, and I think he does it really well. He he can make snowboarding seem accessible to people who are watching and just going, I just don't know what they did. They span around lots of times. What does that matter? And he manages to explain why it matters and what's good about it. Yeah, and he's, uh, and he, and he's little, uh, yeah, the, the little, uh, the little things he plucks out of the air. To compare it to something is, 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 yeah, very, very, very talented guy, but also very passionate about yeah. snowboarding and what he's doing. And I often look, you know, look back on snowboarding for me, and I feel like, I feel like I borrowed snowboarding for a period of time, right, in my career, yeah, um, and it borrowed me. Uh, 
you know now what I'm doing is yeah you know, I'm very I'm I'm very uh, I've got a lot of grounding from that from what I learned I look back and think that was where I made a huge amount of mistakes with uh, with my young career yeah but it equips me now you know and I'm working with a lot of artists I'm working with a lot of musicians I'm working with filmmakers and and and, and to it, it, you know interesting enough the brand <clears throat> I'm working with at the moment is um is one one we've done used for a few years it's called unity right so it was all to do with this um two different areas of london in the docklands that were governed by different you know different uh powers let's say and we wanted to kind of get them on the same page through through music and art so we put this unity arts festival together but you know what's what's interesting for me with that is like you know that brand chaos and then now I'm working with Unity. Yeah, you know it's 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 the flip side. But I guess I guess we're probably running out of time for the to talk about the BSA. Um, but I want to talk about this. Um, you mentioned going and doing a season, kind of after you sort of finished snowboarding. Cause yeah. Because for for me, that like everybody starts doing a season and then stops years later. Whereas sort of ending, you know, kind of doing a season after you've done all this stuff seems like a like a, a an unusual move yeah and I, I, yeah it was and i think basically because if if the chaos thing and have come along and been so demanding from a a work perspective as i say i couldn't get a lot of times i couldn't just get out to brit champs i couldn't get out snowboarding because yeah. i just had so much work on to just keep the whole thing moving forward, um, and that was that was difficult a lot of time because I, I, you know, I started to realise that you know there's a lot of people having a lot of fun and people that I was involved with and sponsoring and whatever, and I wasn't always getting out to really enjoy that, um, and I was aware of that. So it was it was later on, and and it came through the BSA that I got to do a season out in in late uh, California. Uh, in the sort of Lake Tahoe region, yeah. and um, and Donna Lake, so there was um, there was uh, I stayed at a, a town called Truckee, a little town called Truckee. I've heard of it. And there's Donna's Ski Ranch, and what it was is I'd met through working with um, John O'Grady and Eddie Spearing with the BSA. Yeah. So I did I did about four years or so working with BSA. Um, I got. I got to I got funded by UK Sport to go out to all these international um, uh, conferences right. about snowboarding. So you normally have like two a year, or at least one big one. So when the season finished and you, and then there'd be meetings and then went before it cranked back up again. So it was all there was the I went to one fist one Federation of Skiing one, which was dull as dishwater. It was so. <laughs> It was just so, um, just business, business, business. It was really, 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 really crap. I just want to provide a bit of context for people listening. So back in the 90s, early 2000s, it lasts that long, there was the International Snowboard Federation, the ISF. Yeah. And then there was the Federation Internationale de Ski, which is the FIS, which governs all skiing, but the FIS were given snowboarding for the olympics because they were like the governing body that was taking care of stuff on mountains and that really sort of split opinion 
and I t- I, what I f- you know we were a lot it was a lot simpler in in the UK yeah uh, but we were obviously a lot smaller nation when it comes to uh, alpine sports um, but going along to those I early or them I, ISF meetings um, which were a huge amount of fun but you could see that you know they I, f- I think they'd been given a chance to to take snowboarding forward they got a massive sponsorship from Motorola it was like three million quid which at the time was quite a lot of money and they all went out and bought Porsches with it and so I and and went snowboarding and did loads of you know That's so they, nice they, they I think the the IOC the International Olympic Committee kind of f- tried to deal with them and kind of like this isn't going to work so they've gone to the ski federation going you know can you do it yeah. I think it probably happened that way but it massively split opinion, as you yeah. said. And there was there were some countries like the, the the Austrians, for example. They were just at war. You know, the ski federation, snowboard federation. They were just arch enemies, and that echoed in quite a lot of, right. of nations. Um, so it was a very interesting time to be in sport politics when you had that division going on. Yeah, I heard a thing with Donna Carpenter recently, Jake Burton's wife, and she's still pretty fucked off with the FIS like she's still like you know they're they're not necessarily doing for snowboarding what snowboarding needs she's still got a, she's still got beef I thought I assumed at that level everyone's kind of over it but I mean but I, really I, 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 it, it, what happened was is in the end the ISF was was in so much debt and I went I went went out there one year to um to you know as, as a british representative i ended up i ended up getting uh being on the uh being taken on as a nation's coordinator right. um for so the is isf basically was bankrupt so then we set up the wsf the world snowboarding federation that's right um so i was i was instrumental in that and out and that moving forward and they took me on as a nation's coordinator so they paid me a salary to speak to about i had about 40 nations i had to communicate with um which sounds more glamorous than what it was because it was like literally 12 14 hours a day of emails and phone calls it was it was um and the thing is sports politics you always you know you'd be out sort of with the germans and the americans or whatever and you come up with a solution to everything to put the world to rights and then you'd present it, and then the, the Japanese and the Swedes would go, well, that's not, that's not going to work with our system. And then when the Eastern European nations started coming into it, they had a completely different setup. So the way that they got their government funding was very different across, and then just cultural differences as well. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, you, you know, one thing I learned with it, I, I literally, after about four or five months, I I, I stepped, stepped back, I quit because it was it was so intense. And, you, and I realised that the only thing that you could really do is just try and push it along a little bit further yeah there was no ultimate solution but from that i met met some wonderful people um from from all over the all over the world did some great trip i went you know remember going out to norway on one trip which was fantastic i was there as a i was like a vip turning up because i was part of the world snowball federation but the american guys um uh the the united states um, of America Snowboard Association, the USA SA, USA which is ba- yeah, which was 
so there's structure out there. They had the sort of <clears throat> the pro side of things, but they had like a very good national, they had very good regional competitions, yeah. and then very good national uh, competitions, and that was sort of done on an amateur level. And then they would have to go and you get into the pro side of things. Yeah. So it was really well set up out there. So I, I, the the guy who was in charge of the, uh, was chairman of the USASA, um, guy called Tom Collins. He was based in Truckee. There was another guy out there called Fred Dog, Fred Dog Myrtle, who was such a character, and he used to run his own regional one in in, in um, uh, around sort of Donnerski Ranch and Alpine Meadows and all them sort of places. Um, so I'd started I started competing. So I did went out there, did a season. I just rocked up just to do a season, nothing to do with with any business, yeah. anything else. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. I stayed with Fred Dog and his family. We were out snowboarding every day. Um, and the thing is, Chris, after years of being around snowboarding, I didn't learn how to snowboard until I went there yeah. properly. And we, we we went to Alpine Meadows one one time, and there was these there was some incredible snowboarders there. Because Donna's Ski Ranch, back in the day, that was the only place where they would let snowboarders use the mountain. Yeah. So I met all these amazing people, and they um, went out riding with them one time. We, you know, there was many trips. But I remember this one in particular. Was it Alpine Meadow? Was went to went to get off the ski lift, and I just thought, well, I'm representing the UK. I'm representing <laughs> British snowboarding, you know, um, and I just. Bombed down the hill as fast as I could. Yeah. Uh, just to, and got down first, just to sort of say, like, look at me, aren't I good? <clears throat> Fred Dog came up to me. And he went, what the, f- what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, what? He went, and he just very nicely said to me, just hang back next run and look at what we do. And the way those guys rode, there was, they were using the, the whole width. The whole expanse of the hill. They were yeah. just beautiful cars, big floaty airs. They just had so much style and and so much control. Yeah, I mean, they. You know, I thought I was going fast because I was probably beelining it, but they were like going twice as fast because they were going twice as long by using the whole mat. Yeah, they had so much grace and style, and that really like that was a very humbling lesson. Um, but then I started riding like that i started getting into that whole yeah. american way of riding and i ended up doing um yeah so, so i did did a lot of competitions won a few little um, medals out there and no uh which it was very nice and and then started doing some of the commentating at some of the events as well right which was which was <coughs> did one they call, one, uh, they was, call um, that a renaissance is that the right word yeah because i'd left sort of british nobody i suppose in that sense in the commentary sense and it was I mean, I, I was doing the local stuff, and it was funny doing it with a British accent. Yeah, they they just you know it was a it's a winner, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but I turned up. It was quite sad actually because I, I turned up at June Mountain one one time with a um, um, bunch of people that were doing all the sort of qualif- uh, they were doing all the judging on this event, and I, I, I went with them. Um, and the guy who was meant to do the commentating, he he wasn't he didn't show up. So I started doing, you know, because I was in the same area where they were doing all this sort of technical stuff. I, I said, well, do you want me to do a bit? So I started doing this commentary. It was all filmed by Fox right. Fox um, TV. 
it was sadly it was it was the weekend that um Craig Kelly had died in the avalanche. Right. So the guy who was meant to be in the, it, when he did turn up, he was absolutely distraught. Yes. So yeah. he, he said, "Oh, can you carry on?" So I ended up doing doing this commentating there, and then I'm meeting people from Fox TV, and uh, then did the national championships as well, which was in Maine, right, right on the east coast. Yeah. So I had, I had a brilliant time in 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 the US. Uh, and I and I, looking back on it, that really felt like that was my reward for yeah, many years of hard work in snowboarding, and not not actually get to go out and do a season and, and do yeah. a sneeze and snowboarding. Um, and then it, um, yeah, I, li- I literally, I, I think that was, yeah, that was, that was a similar, that was sort of early two thousands. Um, and I suppose I've got to the point with the BSA. Um, Lovely little story with BSA, if I may. Go on. We, I'd, I'd been out in, from when I was doing the, uh, from when I was exploring chaos to do chaos out in California. Um, when I finally kind of got rid of the got rid of the skateboard shop, Skate City, that was about ninety nine two thousand around that time, and so then I was completely free. Yeah. Um, and um, my my. Cousin got married in in Chicago, so I'd sort of gone out for that, and I'd, I'd met a girl in Chicago and started seeing her. So I started spending a lot of time in the, in the states, and I'd get you, I'd, you, you could get these um, round tickets on United Airlines where you 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 buy to LA and you could stop off wherever you like on the way there and on the way back. Right. Um, and I was in, I was, I was, I, I made friends in uh, Long Beach. So I was staying in Long Beach, Southern California. Uh, and sat on the. I went to the Museum of Modern Art mm-hmm. in Long Beach, and sat sat overlooking the ocean on their sun deck, uh, having a cup of Earl Grey tea. Nice. And I received this with lemon, with lemon, because when you when you one fuck about top tip for any youngsters going out to the US, right? If you're going to the US, do not try to be American. You know, be British because yeah. they absolutely love it. And the more British you are, the more. So yeah, I had me all grey tea with a, with a lemon. So I was totally, nice. totally being Eng- English. And I get this, and I used to take my laptop there and go there and do do you know, yeah, I was I was writing a little novel project at the time, and, and I got an email from John O'Grady from uh, who, was, who was chairman of the British Snowboard Association. Yeah, uh, who's done a hell of a lot. You know, in the background of yeah, yeah, he's an interesting hero, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's he's quite something, John O'Grady. And he sent me this email, and it basically was the effect of we have um, taken on a a new uh, a new marketing company and a big PR company um, to do the the British Championships. This was uh, this was after Baldex had done it, and uh, you know, this this, don't know what I guess that was would have been. Um, yeah, it had been around 2000, around that sort of time. And he said to me, the, we re, he said, the, the thing I'm worried about is there's this whole new um, commercial company comes in and takes over the Brits. I'm worried that we will lose its, uh, it will lose its, its core and its culture. Yeah. So we need a cultural attaché. <laughs> of the British Noble Association. He doesn't want and to be we a want, cultural and, attaché. And we want you to be it. Sweet. And I literally, I it was it was February, and I was in in, the, in glorious sunshine in California, and I got on a I got on a, an airplane and flew back to to dull and dreary London, 
where everything was grey. You know, people were grey. Yeah, everyone's clothing was grey. It was it was, was grey everywhere. And I I put on a suit, and I got a I got a um I got a hat like a trilby sort of hat from Chicago when I was going through there. So I sort of turned up. For some reason, we were meeting at HMS Belfast. Right. Of all places. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I put I had a suit on, and I looked like a, a sort of, you know, I, I, I modelled myself as a sort of Chicago mobster. Sweet. For, to go to this interview yeah. with John O'Grady to become cultural attaché of the British Noble Association. <laughs> so he turns up, and we, get, we, we, we go to this little pub, and... Um, uh, and it's all sort of dark, and it's you know it's February, and 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 it, and he, we had a chat, and then he he slid an envelope across to me, and I opened it up, and it had a grand, it had a thousand pound in cash in this envelope, and he said to me, I don't know exactly what it is I want you to do, but I just want whatever it is you do to do it for the BSA, yeah, and that was that was it. I was I was enrolled. With the BSA, and John has a wonderful, wonderful, very intelligent man. He had a wonderful way of sort of weighing up people's situations, and obviously he knew I was completely skin, and I'd just yeah. come back from. So, and the way he, I thought it was very stylish. The way he done, it was sort of in keeping with the whole video, you know, like the the the, <laughs> the dirty deal that's done under the table in a sort of you know in a, in a pub in, in, a pub in, in, London. in London by HMS Belfast, and then that that then become my sort of adventure with the, with with the BSA, which. So I'm pleased to say, you know, I've been you know, sorting out a bit of stuff in in Britain and the Brit Championships that year, which was started to get into a bit of a mess, and then we rebranded the logo and whatever, and uh, and those those cultural attaché business cards that I had got me many a free chairlift or, or ski yeah, pass. Yeah, 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 I bet. Um, but then it was uh, it was really yeah, it was really the international stuff that I really. You know, got scripts have endured, and then eventually BSA really um, naturally kind of got picked up by um, Stu Brass, yeah, who came out with the Aim series the AIM and series. took that. And, and yeah. I hope you've got him because uh, on, he's on the list because he was um, he was he, he was he was fantastic the way he really took that on, and he sort of in a way he sort of. Everything the BSA was sort of struggling to do, he he really took that on and and, yeah. and, and made it happen. So I, I sort of felt, you know, it was very good leaving the BSA, knowing that, you know, it was all in it was all in good hands. Yeah. By this time, Eddie had gone to New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I literally got to a point in time where I felt felt like I ticked just about every box I could tick in snowboarding. Yeah. And then got offered to do a. I was offered to do a, uh, my first solo exhibition as an artist, as a as an oil painter, yeah. which I did in in Soho in London, right. uh, and I literally changed careers, yeah. and I haven't looked back since yesterday when I saw cast the movie again and came down here and met you. Okay, well that brings us nicely on because you did go snowboarding with your family or your one of your family at least. Recently. Yeah, my my my. Uh, I've just got the one son, Samuel. He's uh, just coming up fifteen, and of course, I've always wanted to take him. Yeah. So, how did that? What happened to kind of make that happen, or what? You know, sort of what changed. So there was there was there was some um, very good friends of mine that were nothing to do with the snowboarding world, 
uh, or a snowboard industry, uh, who I went snowboarding with many times, who's a really nice break away from uh, thinking about work yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, they've they gone every year for, for years, and I hadn't been with them for about 20 years. So... I was at uh, one of their uh, one of their weddings. It's quite a big family, and I went out went out to to one of their weddings in Lanzarote um, just last year. Um, and they were like, "Why don't you come snowboarding with us again?" I'm like, "You know what?" And they're like, "Bring Samuel." Yeah. Uh, and I was like, "Yeah, I really fancy that." So we went uh, to Andorra. Um, we just had three days on the on the mountain. Yeah. So we flew out on a Thursday and flew back on the Monday. Um, now, yeah, and I, t- and I took my son out there, and they, and they had all their kids, so it, it really was it was was the next generation. And he he absolutely loved loved being yeah. on snow for the first time, and just being in around kind of that that whole uh, experience. And one of the things, when, you know, I did I as I was telling you earlier, I I did I hurt myself on the second day actually, just being a bit too uh, overconfident and thinking I was, you know. 20 years younger um easily done but what overall what i felt with it one of the things i noticed chris is when i got home i had this wonderful feeling it was like imbued it within my body it was like my body my entire being felt really good really nourished yeah and i remember that feeling you know from going snowboarding spending time in the mountains uh, you know Yes, of course you're enjoying it at the time, but like when you come back into the sort of the you know, into a city or the the, the, yeah. the normal world, yeah, yeah, yeah. you kind of carry something with you. You sort of have this I don't know what it, you know whatever it does. Being out in nature, being perhaps being up that much higher, and the oxygen levels are slightly different, and yeah. and also just doing the ridiculous thing when you think about it: standing on a on a on a highly waxed board sliding sideways super fast down the hill it's quite yeah. a crazy thing isn't it so yeah, yeah. whatever that does to our to our psychology and our physicality whatever it does is very very good i think i think it's for a sort of you know i've got i've got into a lot of yoga and meditation and breathing and all you know just good healthy living and i think snowboarding is um and and, and being in the mountains and skiing for that matter you know that that activity I think is is very very good, very very good for the soul. Now, before we close off, one one thing I must say is when um, Eddie Spearing, John O'Grady, and myself, um, we had a we had a president's lunch last summer. (laughs) Did you? So we used to have the when we was in the BSA thing. Yeah, the three of us used to have the the president's lunch, and it normally be in like. Yeah, I was based in Soho, so we'd normally be around yeah, around yeah, there yeah. somewhere. Nice. Um, and we had a, a president's lunch last year, and it, when we were talking about that, we were talking about like, what about a good, a, bit, a good old reunion? Yeah. Well, we, you know, those of us that you know haven't been snowboarding for a while, especially, and all people from back in the day. Yeah. And then we started thinking of different names, and it was you know suddenly like become massive, and we were like, well, Eddie was like, well. Maybe yeah, you know, maybe we can do it this winter. And I said, "That's way you know, that's way too yeah, soon yeah, to yeah. sort of organise this." So we went. We said, "Let's let's go for twenty twenty five." And we were talking about it just just the other day, 
And I said, well, really, what it, you know, it, it is going to take a bit of organising, just as a, somebody to communicate with everybody. Yeah, totally. You know? um, but what we, what the, what the, what the pledge is is for us to all to gather, it somewhere in the Alps. Yeah. Um, probably latter part of the season. Yeah. Twenty twenty five. Yeah. Everyone invited. Everyone who, who wants to come along is involved in it. Yeah. Um, and we have a we have a big reunion. Fucking brilliant. And what I'd love to uh, utilise this this podcast, if I may, Chris, is of just course, to yeah. throw it out there and yeah, say, yeah, look, yeah. if you if you want to get involved in it, we definitely need people to help coordinate it. Okay. You know, to 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 you know, if, if, if there's people that can uh, put a bit of time into it uh, and help coordinate it, um, and we'll all go snowboarding again in uh, you know in 2025. Fucking, I'm so in for that. You up for that? Yeah, 100%. Everyone listening is going to be up for that as well, I reckon. Who doesn't want to do that? It'd be amazing. Can to smash some shit up. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. A long old conversation with the man that is Ian Felton. He has worn quite literally many hats in British snowboarding and sort of quietly behind the scene influenced a lot of things. Uh, notably, and I'll put it up on the Instagram, the, um, the chaos team with their purple, uh, dressing gowns. That was always something that I remember seeing and just thinking, I want in on this so much. And, uh, yeah, quite mad how our paths never really crossed considering like I did go to his shop, Skate City, a couple of times. I bought a chaos t-shirt there. I seem to remember. And obviously all the sort of antics on dry slope and whatever that we've never actually had a conversation before until he came here, but it feels like kind of meeting up with an old friend, really. Um, so, yeah, that was a real pleasure, a real pleasure. Um, and there was a lot to go at um, from early days of BMX. I mean, that made me remember the OT cycles in Dartford. It was like fucking Valhalla when I saw that place. I was like, oh, my God. And I've never really scratched that itch of owning a BMX. Um, why have I never owned a BMX? Well, because I was looking, talking about this actually recently with somebody and looked at a Skyway. It's like, yeah, a Skyway with some tough twos. Imagine that. Yeah, it's still two and a half grand on eBay. So, yeah, I might not be owning a Skyway anytime soon. But anyway, yeah, just kind of there was a few old memories of my childhood that came up in that conversation. And I love that. And obviously the trip that Ian mentions that um, Eddie and a few of the crew want to organise at the end. I mean, I will do whatever I can to help promote that i'm sure everyone listening would be up for that in some sense uh just a whole massive crew of us descending on the alps for some snowboarding and good times and reminiscing and just a catch-up i think one of the things i've found through this is that you just don't see everybody very often because everyone's really busy doing their thing and it's hard to kind of keep some of these friendships when people live sort of in different places or other sides of the world. So you have to kind of take the take the chances when you can to see to see some of these people because, you know, they're lifelong friendships and the commonality of snowboarding is very strong. So, um, yeah, I think it's um, definitely something that should happen. And obviously we'll keep you posted and um, anything we can do to help move that forward. We'll let you know. Um, my first shout out, I want to send a shout out to Peter Bowers. He helped Ian sort of distill his thoughts and uh, we posted up a picture of him wearing a Chaos t-shirt on his last family holiday last week on the Insta. So yeah, Peter, he sort of like helped 
get that episode together. So big shout out to you. Uh, I want to send a shout out to Jay Nickel. He was sending me a box full of old magazines and whatever courier he was using has gone and fucking lost them. Can you believe that? A big slab of history just gone right there. I was so looking forward to getting those magazines and sort of holding on to them for a little while and, well, let's be honest, plumbing them for the Instagram. But, um, yeah, so they've gone missing. I'm so sorry, Jay, that that hasn't worked out and that we've lost those. Um, hopefully the courier that we, you were using will pull their fingers out their asses and find them for you so that we can get some of that history back. Uh, what else is going on? Big shout out to anyone who's joined the Instagram recently. We're slowly picking up followers. Uh, there's been some good stuff on there. And also on the YouTube channel, um, I'll put Chaos the Movie, obviously, up at the top of the Shredflix playlist. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, then head on over to Thank You Snowboarding on YouTube and uh, check out Chaos the Movie. I mean, I've watched that movie so many times. And even if it wasn't the sort of the edit that Ian would have liked, it's still a glorious thing that really does celebrate the DIY culture of UK snowboarding. And I think it helped sort of cement that ethos because it certainly runs through, you know, sort of the lockdown projects and everything that's come since all the dry slope stuff, people hand building ramps, you know, like it was just down to us to make it happen. And I think it still is to a certain extent. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So check out Chaos the Movie, which is where that song comes from at the front of the show. The front of the show, the top of the show. I don't know the technical names of these things. Uh, Prove My Love by the Violent Femmes. That's a track that's in Chaos the Movie. So uh, yeah, that's where we pulled that from. Uh, other things going on. As I said at the top of the show as well, uh, Mia Brooks is on the bomb hole this week. Now that's pretty massive, having a UK rider. Among their lineup of guests, which has in, which has basically included the great and the good and the slightly boring in one instance, I'm not going to go into that. Um, of snowboarding, people like legends like JP Walker, Jeremy Jones is on there. They've had Jamie Lynn, which was a bit of a bit of a chore to listen to, in my opinion. Um, you know, they've had everyone pretty much or lots and lots of people on there and it's a good shout and I really enjoy their podcasts and so it's great that Mia's on there uh slightly myth that we couldn't get her on here before that's going out but um you know these things happen we had her mum and dad last week if you haven't listened if you're new to this podcast and you haven't checked it out yet we had Vicky and Nigel who are Mia's parents on last week for a really interesting conversation about their journey in snowboarding and what it means to them now, obviously with a daughter who's sort of killing it on the world stage. So yeah, go check that out. That was last week. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, up battle up in Glencoe. Looks like Glencoe Scottish scene is sort of having some good conditions at the moment. So, um, there's been a few events on, get yourself up there. Um, there's the up battle in March. I haven't got the exact dates, but I'm going to try and be, I'm going to be going up there with Jeremy Sladen. Um, so that'll be fun. I might take a microphone to try and chat to people and get their thoughts about snowboarding. And what else? The Brits, the Brits is back. I think I mentioned this last week, uh, the 11th of May at Tamworth Snowdome. Um, I don't think me and Dave talked about it on his episode. Um, but the last time I was in Tamworth, I got beaten up. 
which was fun. Well, it's not so much beaten up as in somebody hit me a few times and pushed me in a bush because I was too inebriated to really do anything about it. And it probably softened the blows quite a bit. So, um, yeah, that was the last time I was in Tamworth. Hoping that isn't going to go this way this time. Uh, there's going to be a bank slalom and a slope style comp. Um, I think there's going to be various categories. I expect there'll be a Masters category, which will probably be the most competitive category. I think Tim Warwood and Scott McMorris both fancy themselves and both fancy themselves to win that. Um, I imagine there will be a lot of laughs and a lot of friendly rivalry going on. So, yeah, the, come up to the Brits at Tamworth. It should be a real blast. Make a weekend of it. Get a travel lodge, get some KFC late at night, and then get pushed in a bush by some locals. Yeah, right. Um, I think that's it for this week. Obviously, another big shout out to the Snowboard Asylum for everything they do for us. We really appreciate it. They have been looking after snowboarders since the start and have more knowledge than any other retailer, certainly in this country, maybe even worldwide. If you need kit, go and speak to them. Um, they will point you in the right direction, give you everything you need and more. The anecdotal stuff that the snowboard shops, snowboard retailers still have is unbelievable. And you won't get that online if you're just buying straight from a snowboard brand. So do support your local retailers. They're the ones who put trips on. They're the ones who fund podcasts like this. They're the ones who organise dry slope nights. They're the ones who basically organise scenes. You know, we really felt that when we spoke to um, Oggy on a previous episode. And uh, yeah, it's worth supporting your local snowboard shop, whether that's the Snowboard Asylum or if you've still got one in your town, then please do use them. They're there for you. They're snowboarders and they're in it for snowboarding and to make sure you enjoy yourself and to love snowboarding as well. So yeah, do do get involved. Don't buy direct from snowboard brands if you can help it. Uh, yeah, well, that's a little soapbox moment, wasn't it? Um, right, I think I'm done for now. Uh, this episode is nearly at two hours, so let's call it a day there. Right, Ian Felton, thank you so much for your time, for coming over here. We're going to have another great guest next week. I'm buzzing to do this one. I'm going to do it at the weekend. You'll know about that this time next week. All right, for now, thank you, snowboarding. Peace.